Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) I've always had a hard time making new friends. I want to hold on to all of the old ones, but sometimes if you want to up-level, you got to make new friends. Today, I'm speaking with a podcast host and a liberation coach. Rosie Young, welcome. Hello. Hi. So I am ready to get real with Rosie, right? We talked, you talked about that in one of your episodes. (laughs) I'm like, all right, let's do that. Okay, sure. I'm bringing up the uh, questions. I wasn't honest with you in LinkedIn messaging. We were like, are you ready? And I'm like, just going to say yes to her. So she doesn't stress. (laughs) But I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen today, which is totally cool. As it, it, I mean, nothing bad. It's just, I don't remember what the questions were. I don't really know what I want to talk about yet. So we're going to, we're going to see what happens. That is the beauty of podcasting, right? Even if you have questions, you just never know which way the conversation is going to go. And that's the best. It's true. Is that a virtual background? Is your house just that clean? It's a virtual. It's actually my kitchen. <laughs> the real background is my kitchen. So you're you're not getting real with Rosie today. You're getting a virtual Rosie background. Hey, you're getting the virtual arena background too. I actually yes. prefer Zoom for that reason. Yes. Yeah, me too. Oh, we might end up getting into that. Just the whole, what's easiest? Like instead of all the, how it should be, it's like when I first started podcasting, all the the ways of this is how like this is the equipment you should have this is the this is why you shouldn't use zoom you should use something else the more you do that the less fun things are the more stressful it becomes and it's like no i don't want to do that anymore so yeah mm-hmm. i actually want to talk a little bit more about that because yep. I do feel like there are a lot of people in my audience who might like to start a podcast mm-hmm. what was it like for you in the beginning I know you talked about even just having to believe in yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. Completely. You know, it's funny. I am what? connected with this guy. His name is Joseph Berman. I'm going to give him a shout out. Okay. And he just reached out to me yesterday asking me if I would be interested in promoting a tea brand on my podcast. And I'm not a huge tea drinker. I do like tea. I prefer coffee. Mm-hmm. I probably should prefer tea, but it's called the Beauty Tea Company. We celebrate huh. women's beauty from the inside out, promoting wellness and relaxation. Do you feel like tea provides you wellness and relaxation? I feel like tea mostly provides me with caffeine. There you go. Me too. I mean, that's what I'm looking for, right? Yep. It's probably a better alternative to the coffee addiction. You know what? I, I think I audited a tea organization, like a, some association of tea. And they said, apparently it actually has higher caffeine than coffee. I'm still suspicious about that one. I don't know how true that really is, but I'm picky about my tea flavors. So for me, it's not just the caffeine hit, which is also why I generally don't like coffee because I just generally don't like the flavor, but no, I don't feel like I'd get a whole lot of Zen or something out of the tea. Right. Which is totally the website. (laughs) Interesting. Huh? Okay. Did you want to talk about the whole podcast experience thing first or how do you want to do this? Yeah, let's talk about believing in yourself and getting messy and Mm. starting and what that looked like. Oh, so good. I feel like a lot has evolved in my thinking about that for sure. It's been, I guess, two years. So I was laid off from my job at the beginning of 2020. And it's just been like this roller coaster journey, but in a really cool way since then. So I would say everything, I think the trouble with starting new things is there's too much advice out there now. So when I started the podcast, like I, to be totally honest, I'm not even a podcast listener. I was never an audiobook person. I am a visual person. So I prefer to read stuff in front of me than to just listen. So for me, the podcasting was simply because 
I happened to know some people and I wanted to get their messages out there. And rather than write down, she said, and she said, and they said, and I said, I was like, let's do a podcast. That seems to be a better format for that. So then like everything else, this this is true for, I find women a lot and definitely for perfectionists and A-types, where it's like, oh, if you're going to do something, you got to do it the right way. So then you go and do all the research. And I, I can bet you you did something like this when you were starting your podcast too. It's like, how do you go about doing this? What, like, what do I even do? What did you actually, did you do that? What did you find when you started your podcast? Oh my God, it's exhausting. (laughs) And two, even just like how much you can edit something to death. Yes. I did my own editing at first, which was painful. I mean, it was a big, huge learning curve and I figured out what softwares and I watched billions of YouTube videos. I won't even go into all the details because you could Google how to start a podcast. You'll find 50 different things. And I have some tips on that if anybody wants to know like what I found worked for me that I curated down. But I think that bottom line now from a being real perspective is just do what is actually easiest for you. Do what you need to do so that it doesn't stop you from getting your thing out there. And also, I think don't fall into the fantasy of whatever it is, whether it's a blog or a podcast or Instagram or TikTok. Don't fall into the fantasy or even the goal initially of, oh, imagine if millions of people are going to listen to the podcast. You might get there. I'm not saying don't dream big, but I think that's it's that fallacy or that that false, I don't know, I guess the false ideal that gets thrown out there by all, all the coaches of different kinds that are like, oh, I help people go from zero revenue to like $500,000 in their first year. And then you focus on all the things, right? That, well, this is how you do it. You got to be doing this on social media. You got to have this kind of equipment. You have your sound has to be like this. And then you start getting into, oh, should I pay someone to like do, because I can't do all that stuff, right? Should I pay somebody to edit my podcast and make it sound a certain way, cut it together? And I think that that's the trap I fell into with a lot of things. That's really the trap I was in for my whole life, uh, even in my corporate career of what's the proper way to do it. And you got to follow everything to the degree of excellence, which just causes stress. And now my, my realness, which to me, that that's what inclusion is as well. Like inclusion is letting people be what they really are without all the fancy stuff, like kind of like not putting makeup on to go out of the house for women, right? It's like, you know, you don't put on that false thing that you feel like you have to have this false front because actually nobody is comfortable living that way. It's just another pressure. So with the podcast, I actually want to try something new. Maybe I'll go back to the podcast. Maybe I won't because I have had mine for a while, but it's like, what if I didn't? What if I didn't have the perfectly written show notes? And what if I didn't have the perfectly cut together edited audio? And what if I used Zoom, which so many, I know a lot of people use Zoom, but then the coaches and stuff are like, oh, Zoom, the audio quality is no good. You need to do blah, blah, blah. Like no one cares. Like but most times people are just listening to what people are laying down. Like your podcast is doing amazing, Rina, and you're using you. Zoom, right? So who I cares? I totally use Zoom. Although for my corporate clients, I do use Riverside because sure. there's this much more scripted and the sound quality is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure, yes, I'm sure it is. And it should be because you have to pay for it. But half the time, those things that I think our corporate world tell us is necessary. It's like, guess what? It turns out you cannot use Riverside and you still have thousands of people listening in. So does it really matter? You want to hear something funny? Yeah. They use Riverside for better sound quality. And I can't tell you how many times they don't even use a mic. I'm like every single time I'm like, your guest really needs to have a mic. You really need to let them know that beforehand. And they'll just use the speaker from Mm -hmm. their computer. And I'm like, okay, they're paying for Riverside. They're paying for a producer to cut this together and they're showing up without a mic. So there you go. If you use a mic and you're on Zoom, it's going to sound better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, totally. I found the same thing. Just use earbuds. You just need to get rid of the echo. That's the most distracting thing. Everything else is kind of gravy. Yeah. So you did say that you curated like a little, here's what you should know. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that sticks out from that? I mean, you can list all of the hosting platforms, right? You can list all of the places to find free music. You can list all of the platforms all of the podcatchers where your podcast should be heard. Like there are some Mm. that you have to actually manually submit like Stitcher. Mm. I wasn't on Mm. Stitcher for the longest time because if you upload your podcast through Podbean, that's an additional Mm. podcasting platform that you have to fill out their form. 
I think even oh. Alexa, you have to fill out a form. There's different ones that even if you're through a hosting platform, you have to still individually fill them out. And Stitcher was one of them. Hmm. Is there anything that jumps out in your mind that could make it easier? I mean, a lot of it is kind of what you listed about, like, here's the different platforms. The thing that took me the most time was just researching different things. So in terms of just basics getting started, I wouldn't worry too much about should I use this or should I use that? The first thing is just to test it out and see if you even like it. And you can get people to listen without having to go through a ton of trouble, right? So just being on, I think Anchor is the free podcasting platform which I think is, I did that and I migrated from Anchor to something else. And it was very easy to do. So I would start with Anchor at first. And then if you find traction or you want to keep going, then flip it over. I'm using Buzzsprout because it's the cheapest thing for my personal needs. And then those things usually will get you to the biggest platforms, which is really just Spotify and Apple, right? Google I found was pretty useless. Like nobody really likes using Google Podcasts to listen and I didn't either. So if you're on Spotify and Apple, you're reaching probably 99% of podcast listeners anyway. I think Good Pods is supposed to be another good one actually as well. So if it's, yeah, you might have to fill out a couple of extra forms, but I wouldn't worry too much about trying to get on all the different like boutique podcast ones. Most people just go to Spotify and Apple. And then unless you're an audiophile or an audio engineer, I do think it's worthwhile to just pay for someone else to take care of your sound editing, equalizing, all of that stuff. Like to get rid of the, the basic things of the pops and the breath sounds and stuff like that because they are distracting, but it doesn't have to be perfectly scripted. And I think that's where I started going down the rabbit hole of here's how to make content really good where you move sections from here to there or make sure your beginning sounds like this or that. I would keep the intro, actually, this is maybe the, the biggest one. I would keep the intro as short as possible, just enough for people to know what they're listening to and what your name is. And a very short, like, this is what the podcast is about. So they're like, oh, this is what I'm going to get out of the session. Other than that, it's sort of like, it's like those old TV shows that had like a minute and a half introduction with everybody's name. And now it's like, you just go straight into it. And then they might have a theme second theme song, right? It's like nobody has, nobody has the attention span anymore to wait and listen through a one minute song with all the details about who you are and your co-host and where you're from and all that stuff. So as quick as you can to get to the, the meat is probably the best. Yeah, I'm totally of that style as well. I think I might say their name, one or two things about them, and then what we're jumping into. I prefer mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know you did one solo episode where you kind of gave the breakdown. You sent that one to me where you broke down what a Jedi is. Let's talk a little bit about that. And how did you put together that solo episode? What did that look like for you? Yeah. Okay. So maybe here's another thing I would share with your listeners is rather than worrying about format or the bells and whistles of putting stuff together, as much as possible, let the content speak for itself. And what really is compelling about content, I find, is hearing the authenticity from whoever's doing the sharing, right? So their their story and what's really going on. And you can tell the difference between something that's just they're selling their product or service or they're reading off a spiel versus this is from the heart. So that solo episode, which I, I think was the, okay, I've, I've done a couple of seasons, what I call it seasons of the podcast. Now here's it's evolved. Here's what it's about. And here's what I believe. And I think that was the step for me of I'm going to come out now and start to be bolder about I don't believe in racism. And I happen to think it's wrong. right? And I didn't think it was really okay before to say that in a corporate setting because I was trying to make money as a consultant or something. And so I was like, is it okay to say white supremacy culture? Am I going to turn off all the, the white executives who have the money to pay me for stuff? But it reached a point, I guess, of like, screw it. I don't want to pander anymore. And I, I'm not here to hurt anyone's feelings or, you know, be crass or be, be mean to people. But I also don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to hide my words. I don't want to, to shelter either myself or shelter other people who really need to be exposed to things. So it was, it was kind of a freedom. It was a liberation to actually say what I mean, which I found like for a hundred percent of my life, pretty much. And definitely a hundred percent of my work life. It's like, no, you can't really, you can't say what you're really thinking. Nobody wants to hear that. And you're more likely to get in trouble. 
then be praised for it. So now it's like, well, what the heck am I working for myself and taking all these risks and losing financial security if I can't do these things anymore? And then the the contrariness of it seemed to be the more I do that and the more I hear other people do that, the more they're attracting an audience to them. Probably because we've all been pandered to or covered up to so much that to hear someone speak what seems to be their truth is brand new. It's like, whoa, I've never heard anyone say that before because we've probably never been allowed to say that before. And then it's like, tell me more. I want to I want to hear more stuff like that because this is so new and fresh. Yeah. Have people come your way from you sharing those bits saying that they wish they could do that too? So here's something interesting that just happened to me. I was just doing a coach training program, like learning coaching skills. So the whole program was all about teaching people to coach, right? It wasn't about community. But during one of the teaching sessions, I was the demo coaching client. So the coach teacher was like practicing on me and somehow came out through that demonstration. He was like, oh, what can I, you know, can I coach you on today? It was real life, but it was, you know, a demonstration. And I ended up just talking about how I had this craving for community, how I'd lost friends and loved ones that I thought were my core family and support when I started entrepreneurship. It's just people didn't get it and they didn't come along this journey with me and I was really sad about that and also just struggling with the overwork like these are you know kind of feels mundane but they were really heavy on my heart and I think we all very much struggle with that in the day-to-day and particularly as entrepreneurs and through that then I started to see in the zoom chat all the oh my gosh Rosie I completely relate to that that's exactly what I'm going through too thank you for being so open and vulnerable with the sharing are you starting some kind of community because I would love to be part of your community how can like let's get in touch and blah 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 and it was just this it was like a gift Rena it was this amazing unexpected thing of I was just coming so I could get some free coaching from this like master coach teacher guy. That was the only thing. And because I actually shared very honestly about what was going on in my life, then I didn't happen to be the only one, which is usually the case with whatever problems we're going through. And so then other people were just attracted to what I was sharing and wanting the same kind of support for themselves. And so that's what we actually ended up doing. It it ends up having nothing to do with the podcast, nothing to do with our coaching business, but I know that we will end up supporting each other in our coaching businesses as well, just by supporting each other as people. And this is actually something that came true for me from one of your other podcast guests, you know, is through Chris Ward Jr. Because he also talks about this in his like story, his heart-centered storytelling where this is like, oh my gosh, it works. <laughs> like what Chris talked about actually works is I wasn't trying to sell anybody anything. It was just, this is from the heart. And that is, I think, what really spoke to people. So the short answer is yes, I think it does. And I'm actually going to be kind of testing that out this fall as I'm coming out with my new coaching services where it's like, hey, this is what it is. This is me. This is from the heart why I'm doing this. And kind of like, let's see what happens here. Yeah, I love Chris's content. I actually just reached out to him today and was like, hey, I'm getting ready to interview Rosie. Any questions? But he didn't get back to me quick enough. (laughs) I should have asked him before. He just posted a video or pinned a video on his Instagram talking about how getting fired has been the biggest gift. Mm -hmm. And they actually fired him when he thought he was a top performer Mm -hmm. and close to his birthday. But I just love his reframes. He's Mm -hmm. so good at capturing your attention and giving a quick lesson in all of his videos. Yes. He's so succinct. Anybody should follow him and there's so much to learn about how to frame your content or reframe your content, as you said. Yeah. So what was the impetus for you becoming so passionate about DEI? I feel like I've always had something of that, but it's not DEI as I now understand like the corporate DEI to be. Right. Like corporate DEI can become just kind of like corporate HR, human resources, where you think HR is supposed to be for the people. And I can say this because I used to be an HR exec. So I did this before I came to the other side. <laughs> but they're like, they're not he- there to help people. This is what I really walk away with this big chip on my shoulder. Companies are there for themselves, they're there to make money, they're there to protect their asses. And it's not actually to make life better for the employees. And there's a whole thing we can go into about that. So falling into coaching and and whatnot, because I believe in it, but to a certain degree, it's because this is what I can best do to marry my actual corporate experience with what I deeply believe in, which is that everybody deserves to be seen and heard. 
everybody deserves a good life because some people win the the lottery of life. Some people have more benefits than others. It probably might have started actually back when I was, I think, eight, nine years old. And I distinctly remember leaving this county fair, basically, or like a local fair in Toronto at the end of the summer and seeing a man sitting in a wheelchair. He looked unable to move or speak or do anything for himself. And he, all he had was a cardboard sign on his lap that said, my name is John, you know, please take me around and, you know, show me a good time at this fair kind of thing. And it was at the end of the day that I saw him as we were leaving. So I don't know how long he was there. I just, my little nine-year-old self was like crying because I just pictured this man sitting in like the hot sun for a whole day being abandoned by, I don't know who could have left him there. And and then what was going to happen to him? Was anyone going to come back? I mean, there's a lot of social issues and stuff behind that that we could analyze. But the core of it for me that I, I still carry away is just, I don't ever want to see that. Again, I don't want to see anybody left behind or abandoned or just treated like they don't deserve dignity, that they don't deserve love, attention and empathy. Like we surely we can be better than that towards each other. So for me, all of the issues around uh, being racist or being sexist or all the ists and isms and things that are not diversity and equity inclusion come down to heart. How do we consider each other? Are we human beings or are we human resources? And companies treat human beings as human resources, literally. You may as well just drill a well into the ground and like pump and extract until it's completely dry. That's how we treat people, where we just expect them to produce and work and work until they're exhausted or have to go on disability leave because we burnt them out so much. That is not how anybody should be living. And so DEI for me goes much deeper than just skin color or gender or culture. It is fundamentally, how do we look at and consider each other as human life? And are we respecting life and caring for each other? And how do you build a community around that? Like you were saying, you were a part of this coaching group. How do you follow up with those people and share those ideas and build a community? I have been actually questioning a lot what community even is to people. I mean, community is, is becoming one of those buzzwords that's starting to feel overused and it shouldn't be because it has so much depth of meaning. So here's one way I think about community and it comes from some books I've read recently that really impacted me. One is called we Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. She's an African-American woman and author. The viewpoint basically is that money isn't necessarily the bad thing. And she's trying to dispel many mindsets that we have, especially as women, around money and whether or not we deserve a certain money or what it takes to make money, right? So one of the things she says in that book is quoting other researchers and psychologists around the influence of people around us. And that the nature or the five or six people that we're closest to or spend the most time with will have the greatest impact on our success or lack thereof. And there's studies around that, like people in students in university who not because they chose them because of their grades, but if they hang around people with really good grades, they get better grades and vice versa. So when I read that, it just really hit me. It's like, oh, no wonder. This is before I divorced my friends. Uh, <laughs> before I divorced my friends, I was like, no wonder I'm like, second guessing myself at everything and like feeling like I suck and imposter syndrome around being a Jedi warrior and all that sort of stuff because nobody believed in me. And I think we really underestimate the degree to which having someone say, you're awesome, or you can do it, or, you know, this, this obstacle is not going to be what brings you down. Just even the power of positive thinking. If we don't have that in our lives, how it's hard to believe in yourself if you've never learned how to do that. And we learn how to do that by seeing it role modeled by other people, right? So I really think that it's not self-limiting belief so much that, you know, the, the corporates like to train, oh, women, the problem is they don't have, they have all these self-limiting beliefs. It's like, mm, maybe because you've never told us we can actually do this stuff, right? And you don't actually back it up with any action. So no kidding, we don't really believe it because it's never been shown to us that we could do it before. So it's important now to have the community community of women, in my case, around me saying, heck yeah, we are awesome. And heck yeah, we can do it. We can do crazy, amazing, big things. My latest thing, Rena, is that I want to be a gazillionaire, which I've never even thought about before. But I'm like, I want to be a gazillionaire because I can do more with that money than send a penis into space. Okay, Jeff Bezos, that's as rich as you are. That's what you're going to end up doing with your money. Give me the money. I can do so many more impactful things with that. So why shouldn't I? Like, why not me? Why not you? You know, why can't you be a gazillionaire? Because I know you're going to do so many amazing things with that other than just sending a penis into space. I want to see you be rich as heck. Why what not? What a great soundbite. <laughs> 
it's funny because it's true, right? Like we know we can do a lot of stuff with this, but oftentimes we're just not given the chance. You know, back to what you were saying about having a role model and having someone believe in you. That's the theme of this show is that my dad has always believed in me. My Mm -hmm. dad has always role modeled that I could do anything and that he really has reinvented himself many times. And he's been an entrepreneur and he's beat to his own drum and he has given hundreds of people second chances and opportunities for a job that other people wouldn't. And so I would definitely agree that I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have that, if I didn't have him telling me that I could do anything. I wouldn't have walked out of jobs that weren't good for me or left bosses who weren't good for me if my dad wouldn't have said, you don't have to be treated that way. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. I'm so glad you had your dad for that, right? Yeah. And I've encouraged actually other friends of mine that were in positions of slavery and mistreatment to apply for better roles or leave. I have a girlfriend, yeah, in California who was a slave to this executive. She was the executive. If it wasn't for her, he would not be making or doing what he was doing. She was the great one building him up and making less than 50k a year. I was like, first of all, you need a raise. Second of all, <laughs> like you need to be applying for something more. Yeah. She ended up leaving there and now she makes a half a million a year doing real estate because she's her own boss. And this has been for like what? a decade. She is an insane high performer, but she didn't have someone telling her, yeah, for a long time that you're better. And you can do okay. more. Yeah. Rina, maybe you should go be a coach because <laughs> that was like that was a perfect soundbite. Go be a coach because Rita helped this woman go from this to this. That's incredible. Yeah. The first time I helped her get a raise, it was only for ten thousand dollars. But you should have seen what that did for her. She was literally in the same role for like five years. I'm like, you're better than this. Yes. It's crazy. There's so much to unpack there. That's such a great story because I think more people need to hear this because luckily your friend had you who could say to her, no, you can ask for more. You deserve more. You're better than this. Because I bet that that was the first time anyone had said anything like that to her. If she hadn't heard that from you, she might still be doing that $50,000 a year job and being a slave to that dude, not thinking she was worth anything more because no one ever even put that idea in her head. And who does that benefit? Completely benefits the employers and her boss and the people who are like, great, if they don't know they're worth more, then don't tell them so they won't demand anything. And that's completely what I see happening now with the so-called great resignation. The employers are complaining, oh, we can't find any good people. They're so entitled now. They think they want all this money. I actually heard a story recently of an executive who hired somebody at, I don't know, like probably $40,000 more than the girl previously had commanded. And they're like, I don't know what these people are thinking, demanding such high salaries. Don't they know they'll be the first to be fired when you know this is, oh, this, I don't know, post-COVID is over because they're getting so much more. And I'm thinking, do you actually think those salaries are going to go back down? Do you not see where inflation is at? Like what, what makes you? think that that person actually doesn't deserve it. It's just that it's never come up for you before. And a really scary thought that I I only put some dots together recently after I read this book called Accounting for Slavery. So it's very interesting that you use the word slave because like you're not far off, right? I know this is a whole triggering thing. So trigger, trigger warning to anybody who's listening. But I think we need to face this reality because it's true. There's a lot of similarities between post-COVID and post-emancipation. Where post-emancipation, sitting here in 2022, probably nice to sit back and think, oh, slavery was so wrong. Good thing that they got rid of that. And then, you know, the Civil War or whatever ended things and overnight the slaves became free. But in fact, if you read the book and you understand the history, there is a long period of still having to fight for basic rights. Just because the slave owners now were forced to pay these Black men and women who formerly didn't have to pay them a dime doesn't mean they liked it. And it certainly doesn't mean they didn't fight it tooth and nail, right? So they came up with all these really awful ways to treat them almost as badly as they did before, but just either had to pay them or because they made them pay money back for clothes or food or taking a sick day, God forbid. They ended up having the the former slaves, freed people, ended up having to owe money to their employer, even though technically they were getting paid. Right. So it's nice to sit here and be like, oh, we're not racist. We're not this or that. We're not like those slave owners. But I think we have to face the reality of employers resist labor change just as much as they ever did before. 
right? Like we're just coming off of Labor Day weekend. The origin of Labor Day comes from labor movement where people were like, we don't want to work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And we're going to fight this at some point when we can't take it anymore. And then the fighting resulted in the case of the 1800s in riots, right? And actual violence. So we're lucky right now that there isn't technically like violence in the same way. But I certainly hope it doesn't get to that point before employers realize how much they have to change because that's really what's happening is employees are saying by quitting or by not taking jobs that they don't want to take it anymore. They don't want to work in the same old conditions. And what might seem radical now to employers like, oh, why would I ever pay someone for five days worth of work if they're only working four days? That's just as radical to us as it would have been in the 1800s of what do you mean they're only going to work five days a week and only nine hours a day instead of 12 hours a day? That's ludicrous. How's all the work going to get done, right? How are we going to make all the widgets or whatever that we have to ship out somewhere? Don't they know I have to run a business? Don't they know I need to make money? So the arguments really are the same in the great resistance that's coming up against the great resignation. And what I think we're seeing is, or what I hope is coming is the great revolution in the way that we're going to be changing the way we work. And employers are going to have to change or be changed, essentially. What would you like to see for the future? My dream right now is that like a hundred years from now, there'll be some textbook that will look back on our time, this post-COVID time, just like I'm speaking about post-emancipation and the labor movement and revolution in the 1800s, where it's like, I can't believe people used to work that way, right? How awful. I can't believe that was such a miserable condition. No wonder there was this big you know, rebellion against the way employers treated them. One of my other catchphrases is the way we're working isn't working and the way we're living isn't really living. And for somehow work and life have become separated such that we even talk about work-life integration or work-life balance, but it's actually the other way. It should be, there's our lives and work is just one aspect of that. So I think we put ourselves in a condition, we've designed our society and our economy essentially to create this condition of constant overwork because we weren't actually even meant to work this much. And maybe what feels like it's being lazy because it's only four days a week. Well, who says that's not that, that's not enough? Especially if the nature of the work that we're doing in 2022 is just as mentally, physically, emotionally draining over four days as it would be if you were doing something else over five days or six or seven days, right? Like I think we really need to look at our overall well-being as humans and find a system that works for that versus trying to force work to come up with like side benefits. So well, here's a mental health program for you, or here's some extra insurance benefits to cover your sicknesses. Like those sicknesses are coming because of the way that we are living and working in our society. So that's what we need to change before we talk about adding on extra health benefits and how much that costs. And how about the limited number of sick days and vacation days and the moments that we're missing out on in our lives. Yes. yes. Oh, I feel like we're all constantly battling that. I mean, also, I, I think it's so healthy to experience entrepreneurship so that if you ever were to go back into a corporate setting, that you would be able to balance better. Mm -hmm. As an entrepreneur, you have control to design your, like, let's say you had a company with 100 employees, but I bet. If I was to ask you, how would you design the way you want to work and the way you want all the people who work with you to work? Would you go and rent some expensive office space, you know, an hour commute away from where you live, where everybody has to like come in and they're sweating or grumpy from the commute. And then they have to rush around trying to find daycare or drop off or how are they going to pick up the kids? And then they can't eat, you know, tasty, healthy meals because there's no time. You got to just grab fast food on the way home. This was the way that we're living was designed probably back in the 1800s by men, because they were the ones who worked, where those things were sort of required. Like, okay, you had to go to the factory to produce the widgets. I really wonder what would have happened if women had been in charge at the inception of what work or whatever was created, or along the way, we had the decision-making power. I don't think any of us would have designed it. So it kind of irks me to say that people want flexible work arrangements. It's only flexible because you're used to thinking that this is the standard and that's therefore the flexibility is going away from the standard. What if you stop thinking about that as a standard, just made the new standard what you would call flexible? So working from home could be the standard or just you could work from anywhere. And some people might need to go into some physical location, but 
I could see certainly from just some women who are mothers and some who are not mothers, how much easier it is to manage taking care of everything else because that burden still falls heavily on women, which is part of the equity issue, right? That it's just so much easier that I can run in between meetings and fold the laundry. Otherwise, I'd have to make the time after or outside of the workday to fold the laundry. So either the laundry doesn't get folded or the work doesn't get done. It's a ridiculous choice to have to make. I'm still curious, like you've had to divorce friends over your opinions and you've left corporate America. Do you think you could ever go back to the way that you were living before? No. The title I've given myself, because I have to put myself into a box for LinkedIn purposes, <laughs> is, uh, is Mindset Liberation Coach. Because that's genuinely how I feel is the divorce from my friends. I mean, it was painful because like any divorce would be in all respect to married people who've had divorced. I, I know it's not quite the same, but I do use that word intentionally because it was such, it was a break in relationship and it was extremely painful and it lasted. It was probably a COVID divorce, right? Because that's, that's about the time that happened. And I think the issues that were there were exacerbated by COVID, but that divorce also liberated me. As, as Chris actually said to me when we were talking one time, he's like, well, the good thing about being divorced is that you're available now. And kind of the good thing about being fired is you're available now. You're available to consider other options. Not unlike, I think, the way you told your friend, there's other options. You don't have to work for this dude for $50,000 a year. And half the power, I think, of empowerment comes from realizing that you have choice. Not saying that choices are easy, right? It's the choosing entrepreneurship comes with a lot of disadvantages and you have to be in a, a, enough privilege, I guess, to be able to take those risks on. But I think that it's helpful for people to now understand that what used to be the generally accepted, you you have to go work for somebody else and that's you make money and you work until you're 55, 65, and then you stop and then you can enjoy life. That's no longer, it's not fulfilling and it's no longer the requirement. So no, I don't want to go back because now that I've had a taste of this life, it's it's like it's like having the chains cut off and then starting to run through the fields. And it's like, wow, I never knew I could feel this way. And I don't ever want to go back. What do you want your legacy to be? I think that other women could say the same thing about their lives. That is like, I didn't know life could be like this until I met Rosie and she like, she changed my lens and I got to see a different way. Yeah. Talk about why you chose the name Changing Lenses for your podcast. Mm. It's what I believe coming from one of my decolonization teachers. So I've taken a couple of courses on decolonization and one South African woman, Black South African woman, described it this way where she said, if you take say a drop of water, and you just look at a drop of water, it looks like a drop of water. But then if you put it under a microscope, and you magnify it by like x thousand, what you see through the lens is completely different. But the drop of water hasn't changed. It's still the same drop of water. And for me, that has so many implications around equity and inclusion, and decolonization and diversity, where people see you, but they don't really see you. And they see you really through their lens. So how somebody thinks of Rena is different from how somebody else thinks of Rena, but you're still Rena. And how you think of Rena or who Rena really is, maybe neither of those people actually know that Rena. So whereas if we're talking about relationships, community, how we're working, how do we create belonging and safety for people? To me, it is very much about how do you see people? Do you see people as just a resource that turns out widgets? Do you see people as somebody in your way of getting whatever it is that you want or blocking your career progression or even, you know, just this whiny entitled person or like, what are you seeing? What built up your lens, right? Our lenses come from somewhere. So that's also where being trauma informed and understanding all the history of your family and their ancestors and, and your society and your upbringing and what you have and what you haven't had, all of that informs the lens that we each wear. So it's not to say that any lens is, is right or wrong. It's merely that there are different lenses. And most of the time, we don't take off the lens that we have to try on something new just to see something differently. If we were to switch lenses, and I saw you through your lens, and you saw me through my lens, I wonder what we would see, right? So the beginning is changing our lens. And from that, as we understand, like as our, our awareness expands through changing our lens, that's where liberation comes. That's where we, that our minds are freed. I love movies. So I love The Matrix and uh, Morpheus when he says, free your mind. is like, oh, free your mind, right? It's like, that's what I keep thinking of and believe in. It's like, yeah, being able to do this, being able to see a different way actually frees your mind, all the trappings of whatever your particular upbringing in society teaches you. 
like our minds have actually conformed themselves to what other people have told us is the way. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you think about things. This is right. This is wrong. These are good people. These are bad people. So luckily, our minds are malleable. We can change them, but it requires being aware of change and then how we want to change them. And then through that, we transform. We transform our lives. So instead of conforming ourselves, we can transform ourselves into being something that we like, being someone that we like, and having completely different relationships because of that, because we don't see people in the same way that we used to see them. And I think that maybe that's also where my divorce came from, because these were people I was super close to for 20 years. And I thought we would be like best friends or family forever. But maybe because my own lens changed, I saw them differently and it wasn't so good anymore. And then the good thing is that other people who I've either never met or now I'm coming into closer contact with, it's like, wow, there's now new community. And maybe I see them differently through my new lens that has been shaped. It's not that you won't find loss, right? But I think that's also a part of life that we all have to come to accept. We can't protect ourselves from everything. I think half the time our issues just come out of our fears and trying to alleviate our fears versus believing in something good that could happen. Yeah. Like I I think a lot of times we just, we work to protect ourselves from the bad stuff versus hopefully achieving the good stuff. And that's, that to me is the better life. Was there anything that you were taught when you were little that was bad that you've now explored and found to not be bad? I would say in general, just trying things, trying things and taking the risk that it doesn't work out the way that you want. Because most of my life, I was quite sheltered from exactly that perspective of, oh, don't do something because you might get hurt or it might go wrong. But a very silly example is when I was 10 years old and I went to gifted camp, which is exactly as nerdy as it sounds. And so outside of the math classes or whatever, we, I don't know what we did. I was like, oh, I could take tennis lessons. So I want to try taking tennis. And I, I mean, I'm a small adult, so I was even smaller as a child. But my very loving parents, bless their hearts, were like, oh, you're too little to pick up a tennis racket. It's too heavy for you. You're going to get hurt. And I genuinely still to this day do not know exactly what the concern was. Maybe they thought I would sprain my arm or I'm not sure. But I think that that attitude carried with me for a long time of, oh, but what if something goes wrong? And also not believing that even if something goes wrong, it'll be okay, right? Like this is not going to be an irretrievable disaster. And, and that's really what I think the journey of entrepreneurship is, is you try things and you believe that whether it works out A or it works out B, you can make something out of both situations, right? So just, just try it. And that's actually where a lot of unexpected gifts happen. Like when I was you know, sharing in that coach demonstration thing where I didn't go in there expecting the gift of community, but that's what came out of it because I was willing to put myself out there and try something. And it could have gone totally the other way. It could have been like, oh my gosh, who's this rosy person and this demo sucks. But I think as we we know ourselves better, we also, like most times it doesn't work out badly, right? We don't generally do the stuff that we don't enjoy and we generally enjoy stuff because we're good at it. So it's a lot less of a worry than it needs to be. So yeah, just being able to try and not even see it as a risk of failure, just as being able to, to be resilient, in whatever comes. I love that. Is there anything on the horizon that you want to try? I have been trying two things. One is, and they're related, one is opposite thinking. So a big part of this, you know, breaking my old habit of, oh, but what could go wrong is figuring out what my mindset is in the moment that might be detracting me from opportunities and asking myself, how's that working out for you? And most times it's not working out so great. Like either I want to try to break a habit that I haven't been able to break or, well, I, I want to dare to dream about having a mastermind group for Asian women. But then all the stuff like, like with the podcast, like, but you have to do this, 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 this. It's like, maybe not, right? So what would be an opposite mindset, an opposite thinking I could adopt. And what would I do differently if I had that kind of mindset? So I'm teaching myself that. And then part of that becomes, well, who says, right? So if I believe that even though I don't have a perfectly formed course right now, I'm just going to put stuff out there. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go on TikTok and I'm going to trust that I don't have to have the perfectly written captions and the fancy video effects and all the stuff, because that's what I was like, oh shoot, I can't go with TikTok. I don't have time to do all those things. So now I'm like, no, I'm just going to do it. And if I'm right in my guess that my content and my message matters more than my special effects, then the people who care about my message will listen. And that's that's all I care about too. So that's my opposite thinking for the TikTok is I'm not going to worry about the bells and whistles. I'm just going to trust that I am enough. <laughs> oh, that sounds so scary as I say it, but I'm going to believe I'm enough. 
And I will believe that if it's one person or a hundred, those are the right people. Like those are the people is meant to, to reach. And I'm going to ask those people to help me prove them wrong. Them, like whoever those people are, like if you're doing social media, you have to do it this way. Prove them wrong. Help me prove them wrong. Right? Like, yeah. I have noticed actually when I don't put any graphics and I just record something on the fly, mm-hmm. those a lot of times do better. Okay. You're helping prove them wrong. Thanks, Rena. So even though something that looks branded with like the Better Call Daddy logo, you know, and it matches like the rest of my branded content, it looks fancy, but it doesn't do as well engagement wise. Like I think the platforms want to encourage just on the fly thinking and more relatability. I think they're pushing that more. Which is interesting because I believe that algorithms cannot figure out what's relatable because that's human. Robots shall not replace us. <laughs> <laughs> I sure as heck hope not. Like, ugh. no, I, I'm so glad you said that. That is very encouraging and helpful. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? I would. I, I mean, I'm just so interested in you and your journey and how you got here too. And it's, it's helpful to know that your dad has been such an encourager. I wonder, because he, like, he's been such an integral part of your development. I wonder if there's anything that he actually wishes he had told you that he hadn't. Like if there's like at the start of your career or at some pivotal point in time, is there something now that he looks back? It's like, mm, I wish I had guided my daughter in this way or that way. Mm, that's a really great question. Yeah. Nobody's asked him that before. I will be interested, mm. you know, when even just you saying it, I'm thinking there's been so many times that I've called him in panic mode. Like maybe if he had more time to think about the answer mm. versus <laughs> having to answer right on the spot when I'm losing it, <laughs> mm. would he have given better advice if it was more thought out? Mm-hmm. Or maybe there is something that he really thought was great advice at the time, or it's what he really believed. But now looking back is like, oh, actually, he would have thought differently if he knew then what he knows now or something too, right? Mm, I love that. One just final thing. I was reading a newsletter today on LinkedIn. Bob Sager has a newsletter that's doing really well about freaking brilliant ideas. And one of his freaking brilliant ideas for today, he was talking about two wrestlers that, you know, one was older, one was a good old boy, you know, spoke a certain way, had a certain following. And the other one was from a different location, younger, different upbringing. But the thing is, is that people kept pitting them against each other. Like they were Mm. both favorites. And so even though they didn't really hate each other, they started playing into it. They started meeting about how to appear to be bigger rivals and go after each other more. And I thought that that was actually really genius. Like who that's a rival of yours in a good way, could you pair up with and maybe collaborate with? I I think that that is an interesting thing to think about. Huh. That's very, so that, that thing was completely fake though. Like they actually liked each other, but they pretended in the public to hate each other. Yeah. Or maybe Mm. they didn't like each other so much, but they played it up and Mm. they started getting strategic about how they could pick on each other more. I can see the business (laughs) advantage. I think I wouldn't choose to, to leverage the perceived rivalry simply because that would hit too many of my own insecurities of what what's my competition what do you know what do I need to do to beat them what I actually want to practice more is abundance thinking and so choosing to do things like sharing advantages or sharing tips with people who could be considered a rival or competitor mm-hmm. out of the belief that there is plenty to go around and more than enough for all of us. And I want to be helping you rather than trying to block you or stop you or, or think that you're going to take away business from me. So that would, I'm not saying that's a bad tactic, uh, but just not, I think for me, because of the fact that I want to believe in this as, as my model. It's such a gift to be here with you and, and speaking and just having this real conversation. It doesn't feel like it's for being recorded for a podcast at all. I am beyond grateful to have this chance to do this with you and just really glad to have met you through this as well. Yeah. Thank you. And to be continued. I'm very interested to hear what your dad has to say. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Okay. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right. We got a Rosie on the show. We have a Rosie on the line. 
And the funny part is, is that she asked a, a very tricky question. Can I go back in time and give you additional advice or change certain advice? And she answers her own question in her interview with you is that it's impossible. We are who we are through our mistakes and through our experiences. There's no way to go back in time. We have to come up with plans of always moving forward, moving into the future. She even had to set up with new friends because she's evolved and she wants to help other people evolve. And she wants women to be able to have a type of example to look forward to improving their lives and trying to also where things have been unjustified against them or where they have not been motivated or set the right example is to set that positive tone and that positive example. Well, you can only do those things in the future. Can't go back to the past and change anything that's been misappropriated or been abused or it just doesn't work. Going backwards and doing the woulda, coulda, shoulda game, all that does is make you question everything that you do also for the future. So we want to be positive. We want us to be forward thinking. We want to use our experiences and the experiences of others and brainstorm with each other on figuring out a plan of how we move forward and how we can do better. I do like what she says also, which is very true because you know that I, I ran a factory, saw thousands of people, and there is that perception that the boss is only using me to make profits. I'm not necessarily where they care about us. We're just a commodity, part of the profit and loss statement. To a large degree, certainly in big companies, it certainly can get quite impersonal. We tried at least an hour shop. And as you defended me, that I gave people many chances that we developed and trained people. We had family picnics. We had the Christmas parties. We had incentives that you could also grow from within the company and learn leadership skills and help manage and help in running a department. It didn't always work, but we did believe in promoting from within the company and giving everyone an opportunity to really learn the business. And as you know, Look how many people worked in our company that left our company and opened up their own company after that, okay? And if one of them didn't do it, I wouldn't be in business right now with them. So I would like to think that we were a little different than the regular corporate structure that is in a lot of companies where they use people and replace them like they're just a commodity or part of the, the bricks of the wall. It is a shame. I do like how she wants to stand up and give women a voice and an opportunity. And she decided to be authentic and real and not worry about all the details of does it have to be perfect this way or perfect that way? Let's just get up and go for it and we'll adjust as we're going along. And isn't that what you have to really do in life, okay? Because if you put yourself in a box, most likely you stay in the box. If you put yourself in an outline, but you're allowed to deviate from it, you have a chance to mature and grow and be open-minded where change doesn't kill you. What do you think of that? I think we don't want change to kill us. That's for sure. <laughs> I like too how you uh, picked up on the advocating for women thing. I mean, you're giving me a voice. Well, that's the thing. And the idea is that, as you wisely stated, is that whatever you want to reach for, whatever star is within your grasp, I want you to be able to go for it. But I would do the same thing whether my children were girls or if they were boys, okay? I would have felt the same way. That's the way I was brought up, too. That's the kind of nurturing that I had, where we wanted to give everyone in our family an opportunity and a helping hand. But some families are not like that as you know, and the world isn't necessarily a just place. As you know from a previous interview, is that this is a very big thing that God wants us to figure out, is how to be fair and just with everyone, and not just with people, but even with animals. That There should be some compassion for our fellow man and for nature as well, and where we don't just take everything for granted. And I think We've got a ways to go, but there are some people that do care about the people around them and do care about the variables of life and do want to see that so-called word of loyalty and justice for all. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 